Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Hey guys, welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We are all here today to talk about the three-pronged protocol in EMDR therapy. So we're going to dive into the past, present, future, and try to take you back to your basic training and where you first learned about that and try to kind of expand upon your knowledge, awareness, and utilization of that. Before we do get started, I want to talk for just a moment about Katherine Keller. You guys have heard us mention her several times before, but I just want to circle back around to her and um, share with you guys just some of what she did for our practice and our business and really kick-starting our growth um, over the last year and a half. Notice, or, yeah, notice that and Beyond Healing Center mm-hmm. has tremendously grown. Mm-hmm. And I go back to really thinking about, Melissa, how that started with her. And yeah. I know you came to me saying, hey, I met this really cool lady yeah. who is <laughs> Wait, so- how did you meet Catherine Keller? Yeah, so she was helping uh, another therapist in town with their business development. And I was, you know, listening to that therapist talk about just the guidance that she'd gotten and some of the conversations Mm. they were having about, you know, who is your ideal client? What do you want to feel like in practice as a therapist? Uh, Yeah. And uh, just, you know, marketing type questions that I had never heard before. Yeah. Especially for therapy. Yeah. What? And I'm like, I want somebody mm-hmm. to ask me those questions. Yeah. Can you know? I have a meeting? Yeah. And so uh, we did and went out to lunch with her and I just really enjoyed her kind of process of really refining, clarifying and focusing from the perspective of what does it mean to feel really supported in the work that you do, but also have an eye towards making it um, financially sustainable Mm. and navigating some of the challenges that we have as therapists, um, both personally and just because of the profession that we're in, of what does it look like to be both a therapist and an entrepreneur? and conceptualize yourself that way and so yeah we had a series of meetings with her that were incredibly clarifying and focusing and really helped both jen and i kind of solidify okay this is what we're doing here we go let's do it yeah and she uh you know was one of the first people that really suggested that uh, podcasting could be a focal point for us to set us apart and helped us really capitalize on some of the Mm -hmm. natural things that we had in place and so she's just really skilled at um, identifying the things that make you as a therapist unique yeah. and um, helping you really bring out your own strengths and your own um, yeah, elements that set you apart. Very cool. One mm-hmm. thing I really loved about that first meeting with her is it wasn't just this you know, fire hose of ideas of right. like, do this and then you could do this yeah. and this. I'm getting overwhelmed. <laughs> but it was a lot of systems. Yes. She was lending us, okay, here's a system for doing this. Yeah. And this is to how you get organized. You. Mm-hmm. Um, and she would give specific assignments. Okay, Melissa, this week you're working on this. Mm-hmm. Jen, you're working on this. And I'm going to work on this. And we'll come back to the table and see what we get done. Yeah. And it was just so productive. And it sped things up in a really good way. It did. And then we've had the momentum from that point forward to just kind of keep, keep going. going and fueling mm-hmm. that and growing. And even we still more. use those systems, yeah. actually. I was <laughs> just going to say that yeah. sounds very familiar to the way that we do yeah. anything. Because yeah. that, that was the, you know, the foundation Organizing of the way that we principle. started. Yes. Of, yeah. um, you know, having that foundational structure and that plan and sort of the way of collaborating and delegating and all of that. And very so, cool. yeah, it, it started on a porch. A meeting yeah. over coffee um, and a series of conversations. And so, yeah, you we had, had your journals. And we, did, we did. Absolutely. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we just really encourage you guys that if you're at a point in your practice where you're kind of ready to take that next step and really get clear about what it is that you're trying to do, who your ideal client is and how you want to feel as a therapist mm. and an entrepreneur, um, we highly recommend Catherine's support. Yeah, you can find her at www.catherinekeller.net backslash EMDR. That's K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-K-E-L-L-E-R dot net slash EMDR. And if you click on that link and navigate to her site, you can get a free 30-minute consultation so you can have your own 30-minute coffee with Catherine Mm -hmm. to kind of find out like what she can see um, in your practice. And she can ask you those really thoughtful questions that kind of 
initiate your thought and attention in your business in that way. Yeah. Coffee with Catherine. There you Coffee go. With, oh, that's a, we should let her it's know. An that's audit, what we're call it's things. just an auditory uh, alliteration. But it's not a true alliteration. No. It sounds very nice. It does. Yeah. Coffee with Catherine. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So let's jump back into three-pronged protocol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. This is on... Probably if you do the five-day intensive EMDR training, this is like a day four, day five concept. Mm -hmm. So this is after. I can't believe it's that late. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. This is after. There's a lot to get through. (laughs) I guess. You have covered a ton of content, done your own therapy, been a therapist, Mm. and then we're coming in. It's probably referenced earlier, but really like diving into it a bit more is when your brain is fully saturated and you're like, okay, when is this training going to be over? I'm really tired. So this, so often in consultation groups, this is a point that when I bring up the concept of three-prong protocol, there's a lot of looks of confusion of like, I think I know what that means. I'm not sure I completely know what that means. So just as a, a little review piece here, it's past, present, future. And it's based on the idea that, um, one, everything from the past influences the way we experience the present and therefore influences the way that we prepare and anticipate for the future. EMDR takes that one other step further to say in the reprocessing, that's how we Mm. need to order our work. Mm. We need to pay really close attention and start with the past, then come through, process the present, and make sure we're then processing the future and preparing them for the future. And so it gives a very generalized structure for how do we sequence our targets? Mm-hmm. Where do we begin? Where do we need to be looking at processing? And it needs to start past, make sure we cover present and don't neglect or forget about mm-hmm. templating and preparing them for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where I think we should dive in today is exploring why that's set up that way, yeah. um, how that makes sense neurobiologically. Yes. But then also when do we make the decision to change that? Yes. Because there are some really strategic reasons why we would say, hey, mm-hmm. we might need to forego the past, present, future order and maybe do present, future, past. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's a lot of benefit to that, but we only want to do it with intention um, and, and knowing why we're making that change. Yeah. Yeah. To have a, yeah, a neurobiological foundation for why we're making the decisions that we are. Um, Because I think sometimes as therapists, we sort of have an intuitive sense of maybe I need to do this, but we want to kind of support you guys in your clinical decision making to know why that intuition is probably happening. And the other thing that I'll mention is a lot of therapists just forget about the future. Yeah. Mm. And skip the, you know, the future templating portion altogether. And for very good reasons, a lot of times our clients, um, you know, don't prioritize that or don't conceptualize their work in that way. Um, But when we understand the power of future templating, I think we get a lot more motivated um, to encourage people to engage in that and really help our clients um, think into the future and create those uh, pathways in their Mm -hmm. system to support them in whatever challenges are coming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of clinicians either get stuck on just the past Mm. or stuck in the present. And it's how are these symptoms showing up and what do we process right there? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we really looking at the significance and how the three work together Mm -hmm. and why do we want to keep it that holistic of past, present, future, that three-pronged is really important. Yeah. Bridger, as we're talking, I keep noticing like you get this little glimmer and I know. a smile. I'm trying not to when we say spin the word up too high. Neurobiology. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? Especially over there? neurobiological foundations oh. of well, yeah. the three-pronged protocol. Uh, I don't know where you guys want to go <laughs> with this. Um, to me, the the concepts of AIP and three-prong protocol are just so beautifully and elegantly mapped onto the triune brain Mm -hmm. and the way that we understand interpersonal neurobiology as a Mm -hmm. practice, like Mm -hmm. the three of us and and all of Beyond Healing. Um, So to me, when you start talking about the neurobiological foundations of the three-prong protocol, I'm very curious in Jen what you said about sometimes we might want to go present, future, past, mm-hmm. um, because that's presenting a neurobiological challenge to the brain, yes. um, as well as for those that don't uh, remember to focus and prioritize or emphasize the future templating, um, that is making it very difficult for the work to be integrated yeah, outside of the right. room mm-hmm. um, from a neurobiological perspective. So I love that both of you are EMDR trainers and I am just a clinician in that way because I just get to come in with my theory magnifying glass and say, oh, 
let me let's ask some questions yeah, of this absolutely. Um, from a neurobiological perspective and that just being so much of where I come from. So I'm so excited <laughs> for this conversation. Uh, I'm going to try not to to interrupt or to get too excited, <laughs> but it's so hard for well, me. <laughs> bring your excitement and leave behind the interruption. We'll, we'll hang best. into that space together. <laughs> I'm really trying here. <laughs> Well, so I think just kind of as a starting point, um, if we want to kind of investigate together, why do we feel like AIP and the past present protocol fits so nicely yeah. in the try and brain? Like, yeah. what, do, what do we mean? And really elucidate, like, what is yeah. that mapping? What is that overlay? Um, and what is actually happening neurobiologically when we directly stimulate the past and choose to reprocess there first and then move to the present and then move to the future? Can what we, is the implications for I that? I love that. Yeah. Can we then use that as maybe the organizing principle for this conversation? Absolutely. Of, let's talk about what neurobiology says about the past, mm-hmm. then the present, present then future. the future. Yes. Then we can like map on EMDR. Absolutely. Does yes. that sound good? Sounds great. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love it. So to me, um, the experience dependent nature of the brain's development of, over time is where all of this begins. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, is in the moment of conception, what are the, what is the landscape? What is the topography of the developing life over time? And then as attachment continues to develop, that is actually paying, um, uh, so much attention to the way the brain itself is developing, uh, the quality of the attachment, the type of attachment, the experiences that happen within the attachment, all of that is shaping the actual neuro development of the brain yeah. so when we start talking about the past um, that is really us talking about what is the foundation of your consciousness how did how, your brain get mm-hmm. built yeah mm-hmm. and what does it think about itself mm-hmm. what does it know about itself how does it understand itself and how does it understand how it needs to interact with its environment yes because um, it is very organized around well these are the experiences of the past and this is the result that mm-hmm. those experiences had. So here's what I know about myself. Here's what I know about other people. And here's what I know about when myself and other people interact. Right. And that's explicit articulation of something that is barely ever explicitly articulated in an individual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is a, you know, left brain, yep. very, Let's very Let's bring high some language to it. Yeah. But all of that that, you know, Bridger just said is happening subconsciously. Millisecond by millisecond. Um, At a lightning fast pace, it is the way that we, you know, make decisions without actually being conscious of the decisions that we're making. Right. Things like, what do you do when somebody bumps into you in public? Well, your brain is going to make a split second decision about what's the best way to navigate in that situation. You're not having a neocortical conversation with yourself about what to do. You're just reacting. You're just reacting. The two of you would go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And 100%. I would go, excuse you. you know me. <laughs> Jen, you said sorry to me earlier for, no. I'm yeah, probably. <laughs> you borrowed my pen and said you're sorry. Yeah. So. Yes, right. yes, exactly. So the point is, is that your early life experience has shaped your architecture to be constantly apologetic about That's right. taking a your penny neural space. architecture. That's absolutely right. Uh, mine, 100%. mine did not, right? Uh, mine suggested that taking up as much space as possible was a great way to stay safe, yeah. right? And so I think that's, you know, a silly little example of all of the different moments of our day that are dictated yeah. by the early foundations of neuroarchitecture that is shaped by yes. our experience. And to me, when we start talking about neurons and the connections they're making and the pathways, quote unquote, um, the networks that those are forming is that's what we mean when we say experience dependent Mm -hmm. nature of the neurodevelopment is these neurons are being linked and what's neurobiologically uh, accurate is differentiated Mm -hmm. in that some neurons are continuing to be wired together Mm -hmm. and then others are being pruned away from Mm -hmm. that connection Mm -hmm. and it's in that series you know that's happening by moment by moment by moment and as that continues to happen we start to get structures made Um, I actually think about it, Jen, this is so funny that just came into my mind. When I see Piper playing with multiple types of Uh Play-Doh, that's what I think of, (laughs) which is so weird. But I mean like multiple colors? Multiple colors, and then she adds them together, and now we've got this brown clump of what previously was beautiful neon green and purple and blue and red. Um, All of these different neurons coming together to form this now entirely new thing. Mm -hmm. That is what we call the past, mm-hmm. neuros, neurosequentially. Mm-hmm. You know, I think 
EMDR, and I don't know if it's intended to be this, but culture, the way it feels when we talk about the past is not as much about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think shifting that is really important for EMDR clinicians that we think of when we talk about past, present, future, it's we need to target the past experience, which could be a month ago, mm-hmm. six months ago, or you know, 37 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just looking at it as whatever happened in the past, the present is how does it manifest today? What's a recent experience that was similar to that? Mm-hmm. And then how do you see that in the future? And so what we want to say, like, in this perspective is we also, when we're talking about past, we're not just saying the event that took place before today. Right. We're saying, how was our brains developed? Where was it at in the development? Mm -hmm. Yes. And where was that response to whatever trauma occurred, whether it's the trauma or just regular daily interactions, like where were those originally shaped and created early, early on in our development? And that is the first thing we need to be considering it doesn't mean there's going to be targets there that we have to process yeah. but we have to collect information from that place to inform us on every other move that we make moving yes. forward so i'm thinking about an analogy okay and i i don't know I if it'll analogies. hold up but i think it might let's do it and i guarantee that we're all going to enjoy <clears throat> utilizing this analogy because we'll make it's, it hold up yeah it's one of our favorite things collectively as oh. a as a family oh curry Oh, <laughs> curry. <laughs> okay, so hang Green with me. Green curry specifically. Oh, oh, I don't know, but sure. Okay, um, that's just okay. what I meant. Yeah. So really, it's a cooking analogy, but I think about curry when I think about cooking because that's the only thing we're spending that much time on. So, one of the one of the differentiations that I think is important with you know what we're talking about is that when we think about memory. From an EMDR context, we tend to think about, or at least this is what I thought about initially, is this little spot in the brain that holds the information of that experience, Mm -hmm. like right there. That's that memory of when I was four. I could, you know, if I knew where it was located in my brain, I could point to it and say, there's my four-year-old memory of when dad was mean to me. What is actually more true is that the visceral experience is stored in my entire Mm -hmm. organism. Mm -hmm. My nervous system is memory yeah, Mm -hmm. and vice versa. And so back to the curry analogy and the way that this develops is in the process of making any complex recipe, the point at which you add certain ingredients and the processes that those ingredients are exposed to, the culmination of all of that is what results in the final flavor mm-hmm. of the dish. Oh so, my gosh. so adding salt at the very beginning or adding chili pepper at the very beginning, and then you let it sit and simmer for hours and hours produces something totally different than yeah. if I were to sprinkle a little curry powder and salt on top at, at the, the very end. end. Yeah. Yes. Totally different. Absolutely. The, the layers of complexity and the depth and the rootedness of those yeah. flavors is completely different. I'm having a uh, early memory come of my mother teaching me the difference between butter, garlic, onion, onion, butter, garlic, oh. garlic, onion, butter uh-huh. in a pan yes, yes. Uh, to season sausage. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's that my mom. That explains a lot about your <laughs> neurobiological foundations, my dear. <laughs> that's my mother. Yes. So. Uh-huh. And that is part of... And there's a crazy difference. Oh, I don't know. Absolutely. <laughs> Just to like put yes. that out there. Yeah, like, the, the order, crazy. the exposure. Yes. All of that matters. Yes. Um, and... Well, no, way too many food analogies. I was going to talk about, you know, French food versus Italian versus anyway. Oh, that's a lovely I know, I know. It, re- it really is. But it, it's all back to this idea of yeah. the order and what are the basic ingredients that you add in and how long are they, for instance, exposed to heat. And even things like if you sprinkle salt on top at the very end, it's pretty easy to scrape off. Mm-hmm. Like if, if it got too mm-hmm. salty, I can just like brush some of that off. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like the the <laughs> rock salt on a pretzel. Yeah. A little too mm-hmm. much, guys. Like right. slow it down, Auntie yeah. Anne's. Yeah, what's going so, on with that? I don't know. Um, but if it was kneaded into the dough or was yeah. simmering the whole time, there's this is n- good. It's so it's so hard to get it out, good. right? And so I think that's what we're talking about neurobiologically and the way that we target things. When we're looking at the past... The, the earlier and the more exposure it 
a system, an organism, had to that particular ingredient in their lifetime, it gets embedded into the everything that we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's not just something that we can scrape off the top, top with a little bilateral stimulation. Oh, yeah. go right? for it. Yeah. Yes. As opposed to a present-oriented target that doesn't really have roots in the past, you know, three passes and it's gone. No big deal, right? Yeah. Because that's not something that is deeply embedded into the system. It's not held in my nervous system as a foundational memory network. Yeah. And so to me, that's just kind of a way of like thinking about the complexity of presentations that we deal with and why sometimes certain targets are so challenging. They're so deeply rooted and they're, you know, they're everywhere. There's little tendrils of it that just go into every section mm-hmm. of the life. Yeah. And so understanding neurobiologically why certain targets feel certain ways, why certain ones are so embedded and others are easier to scrape off. I think when we think about the neurobiology and what AIP is really telling us, that's when we start to understand and make sense of the experiences that we have with our clients. Yeah, and it's it's all of those that inform what negative cognition they choose for that experience, right? right? Mm-hmm. It informs like everything about mm-hmm. how they're processing that later experience, right. not even super late, could be in your teens or mm-hmm. 20s. Mm-hmm. It is the past that will inform how they experience right. that event in life yeah. mm-hmm. and, and how that's stored within their system. Yeah. Right? To me, that is so much of where it's hard for me to think about, and this is just my own orientation, but it's hard for me to think about talking about anything in the present or even a fear of the future without Mm -hmm. talking about the past. Well, it's an impossibility. It is a neurobiological impossibility. Um, So Jen, you said sometimes it's important Mm -hmm. for us to talk about present, future, past. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm wondering about that. So to hear you guys say it's an impossibility, Mm -hmm. I disagree with that. It's possible. But it has to be for the intention of um, offering the client what they need in that moment right. with the awareness of how significant the past is. Mm-hmm. So if I'm ever going to target something in the present, it is a state change focus. Yes. It is a regulation focus. It is this thing is so significant in your life right now mm-hmm. and you need some strategy to get through it mm-hmm. right now without necessarily going back to when you were five. Now, information of the past is really important, but targeting and and processing events at that time. I think what is true is that the state is created from past experience. Mm -hmm. We're just not targeting it through that particular doorway. That's why you're likely not going to see the type of trait change Mm -hmm. with that focus because it is still, what you're saying is still exposing the impossibility, but it's working in a way that says we're going to get there, but right now we're focusing on the state. But the state changes. So going back to my food and salt analogy, Mm -hmm. just because it's useful. As long as it's curry, keep it on (laughs) curry, curry, right? Not the pretzels. Um, Okay, fair, fair. So... For instance, we, uh, every Tuesday, listeners, we go to an Indian restaurant. Here in town. We do. And uh, Ryan, who is not with us, our executive director and Jen's uh, other half, really likes his food spicy. And sometimes when he asks for extra spice, what they do is just dump a bunch of chili pepper straight on top, (laughs) which I think is hilarious. Yeah. Because clearly this was an afterthought. Yes. (laughs) This guy likes spice. Okay. Boom. So when when I think about targeting the present... It's more like they put down the plate of curry in front of you and you see a blob of chili powder on top. And if I try to eat that, boy, that's going to burn, right? But if I understand that, okay, I'm not going to actually change the whole dish, but I can scoop out just this extra Mm -hmm. spicy part and get rid of it. Now, the dish is still going to be spicy because there was spice initially, but it's a lot more palatable to me (laughs) than if I was going to try to eat it with that big dollop of chili Especially... If you mix it with some rice and some not, oh, then, some, yes. resources. some resources. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, this just keeps getting better and better. <laughs> We're nerding out so hard right now. Sorry, listeners, we really like it. Those Indian are supportive food. resources to help they you are tolerate. The most yes, they are. They are. Yeah, non and rice is our resource at BHC. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes. Um, so I think like, understanding that we're not changing the whole dish but we are alleviating some of the intensity that's right on top and kind of in their face and it makes it a lot easier for them to eventually address the past stuff but i think it also just gives them significant relief in the present and builds Mm -hmm. confidence in the process really really helpful for our therapeutic rapport our relational you know trust and so there are certain situations where starting in the present before the client is really ready to tackle the past um, is actually neurobiologically very supportive. Because if we were trying to go to the past first, we can get dysregulation. 
we can get flooding. Mm. We can get things that we're not ready for. We push client out of their window of tolerance. And one way of dealing with that is by choosing present-oriented targets to ease them into the process and build up their window of tolerance. And to build stability in their current situation. If you're working with someone who's going home and having severe conflict in their right. marriage every single night. Yes. And yes, their reaction and responses and felt sense of that conflict route back into early childhood. Mm-hmm. They still need strategy That's to right. deal with that That's in the right. present. Because they're dealing with it every night. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's possible to offer support and, and relief in that we are not going to get to trait change that way. We just won't. Yeah. But sometimes that's a decision we have to make. Like we have to choose one or the other. In in cases where you work with the client for six to eight weeks Mm -hmm. and that's all you get, Mm -hmm. making an informed decision that says, yes, I know I'm foregoing the trade change to Mm -hmm. offer them state change. And I'm, I'm choosing that rather than ignorantly going in and thinking I'm changing their lives right. in these successions. Yes. 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 But it's still a strategy that's supportive of them and where they're at. Well, and I think, you know, through SIP, so our case conceptualization model, one of the things that we talk about a ton is the intersubjective space and making things explicit between us and, and the client. And so in a situation like that, mm-hmm. we would actually encourage um, therapists to talk with your client openly about state change versus trait change. What can we accomplish in eight sessions focused on the present versus if we had unlimited time and could actually get into the past? It's not about one being better. It's not about one being right and the other being wrong. It's about allowing our clients to make an informed decision about how they want to utilize their time and us having the clinical understanding of what we're doing and what we're not doing. And so what we recommend is you put that all out there with the client and you have a collaborative conversation about what are we doing here? Why are we choosing to do it? And is this really going to get you where you want to go within the limitations of our situation? And that's totally appropriate. Mm -hmm. And what I'd even layer on top of that is with the lens of knowing how significant the past is and how how it is influencing the present it gives us more information to say when we do have six to eight weeks we actually could possibly find some really significant past experiences to reprocess Mm -hmm. and be able to get further down that road of trait change Mm. but it's you have to have the knowledge and awareness and be looking at how significant the past is so if you're working in a setting where you're limited in your time don't just settle for Mm. present targets yes don't i I don't just settle there Mm -hmm. there may be a time where you choose that route but always be listening for where was this shaped in the past? Right. Mm-hmm. Where are the deepest roots? Because with that knowledge and awareness, we could in six to eight se- sessions really reprocess some mm-hmm. significant yes. experiences and yeah. see dramatic change. And make trait change all the more likely. Yes. Yes. And get them further down their process in that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Bridger, what's your neuro feedback on all of this? <laughs> your, um... I think, well, one, one of the things that I was just thinking about um, is some of the language um, between what is commonly associated in polyvagal theory is story follows state. Mm -hmm. And when EMDR language talks about state change, they're talking about more present oriented change. Yeah. Which is what PVT would call story. Yeah. Oh. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about trait change in EMDR, we're talking about polyvagal states. Yeah. So it's very interesting to me. And that's where my mind was just taken. uh, Because I was just like, this is very interesting. My associative networks are, are... kind of parsing this out mm-hmm. um so to give the kind of neurobiological interpretation of this conversation for me as a subjective being i'm thinking a lot about the way the brain is built and how over time you know one of the common misconceptions that i come across a lot in consultation is we just assume that infants aren't conscious mm-hmm. <laughs> um which is ridiculous yeah. just because they don't have the neural architecture that's commonly associated in uh, mature mammals with consciousness, that doesn't mean they don't have consciousness. So in that space, the way an infant is making sense of their reality is still built on their, on what is available in their mm-hmm. brain. And so as they had taken experiences, that consciousness is then shaped. Yeah. So as you continue to go throughout life and experience the present, quote unquote, which changes as mm-hmm. you grow older, mm-hmm. that is still the successive approximation of all of your experiences up to that point. Yes. So what you're focusing on in a present-oriented um, AIP perspective is still so full of the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to start future templating or working with the future, you're talking about 
um, challenging anticipated reactions based on the present and yeah. the past. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. What is that going to be like when you show up in that space? Right. Um, well, you know, now you're activating the affect of the past and the present fear. Mm -hmm. So to me, we're all dealing with the earliest building blocks of the brain mm -hmm. all of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's where it probably is different in EMDR language. We're identifying with the three-pronged protocol. What target are you processing? Yeah. So there's past, present, future in the way of how does all of this inform um, their present experience and, and how they show up and how they process the world. But then the other piece of it is determining what target to process. So I just checked the, the time because I want to maybe take us on one more loop. Okay. And we do have time. We're only at 20 okay. minutes, 29 minutes right nice. now. Nice. So one of the challenges that I have with the distinction between our language now and quote unquote EMDR language is the way something becomes a target. <laughs> Why does something become a target? When we're talking about our definition of trauma, which is when anything comes along that is too much too soon, too much for too long or too little for too long, we get the, the difference between an acute crisis or exposure to trauma and more of a complex or prolonged exposure to what has become traumatic. When, you, when you're picking present targets, I'm so curious about what is making that a target. Is it because something crashed in and was too much too soon? Or mm. is it the other two variants, mm -hmm. the too much for too long or too little for too long, that kind of hide in the shadows of our concept of self? Mm. In that way, I think what comes to be a target in the present is built on the past. The very mm, reason. 100%. Yes. With the exception of, you know, the yes. too much too soon's, mm -hmm. um, which are the violent or some type of just Car wreck, obvious trauma, yeah. big yeah. T trauma in <clears throat> yes. that language. Mm -hmm. um, That's new to the system as a whole. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't, yeah. It's not because of the development of the system that the trauma happened. Yeah. It's because of something interjecting on the system. And I would say that window of what kind of new experience could not yeah. connect with something mm -hmm. from the past to inform our response is so little, yeah. like so little that yeah. most things, regardless of how different it is, will tap into some strategy or, or felt sense, mm -hmm. felt memory that we have. Well, and at the very least, when we're, you know, exposed to something new and overwhelming, we will be referencing our previous experience of how do I respond to new and overwhelming situations? Yeah. Like there, there is always going to be a reference point. Um, because that is what a human organism is. We are, you know, constantly self-referential in understanding how to proceed through our current experience. And so, um, you know, a really common experience for a lot of humans that is new and overwhelming is becoming a parent, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, we may not have neural networks associated with how do I become a new parent, but we definitely have networks and experiences about um, what does it mean for me to take on a brand new role? How do mm -hmm. I feel about responsibility? Mm -hmm. How do I handle receiving input and critique and advice from a whole bunch of different sources? So even something that is brand new to us is going to ping on a whole bunch of other oh themes. Oh my gosh, becoming a parent taps into how oh, are you parenting? Oh yes, <laughs> what did my exactly. mom do compared to what do I do? Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. many things. And, and I think, you know, being in that space of always recognizing when we're working on the present, we're never not working on the past at the same time. Mm -hmm. It just has to do with how wide open do we leave that gate for the past to invade into the processing of the present. And that's where intersubjectively we make that so explicit yes. with the clients that we're working with. Because to me, I understand the duress that someone might present with a present oriented mm -hmm. target that says, yes. I, I'm overwhelmed by this and I want it to not overwhelm me anymore. Well, my task as a therapist and my subjective opinion is to illuminate the reason that it is yeah. overwhelming, Why? Yeah. which is based on the past. And then to say, okay, now the, the therapeutic alliance together has the awareness of why it's overwhelming. Here's mm -hmm. what we can do. What do you think? Mm -hmm. We can desensitize some of these present moment triggers and help you kind of go through that process in a more integrated way. Yeah. And, or we can start focusing on some of those past issues yeah. that are adding to the overwhelm. Mm -hmm of the present situation. And yeah. that's that informed approach to saying, yeah. when would we break the order of three-pronged protocol yeah. and say, let's start in the present, knowing the influence of the past has everything to do with the circumstance. Yeah. There's no target that just exists solely in the present that doesn't connect back. Yeah, without, and to me, 
I always hesitate with the absolute language, but it is so hard for me to think of an idea where a present-oriented target originated purely on its own without a predisposition from the past. Mm-hmm. It's just hard for me to... Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's why some people can go through what would assume to be horrifically traumatic events and not develop PTSD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They went through the thing that should be a target, quote-unquote, yeah. but they're fine. Yeah. And that that is also past referential. Yes, exactly. Right, because 100%. we we resources we reference the resources of the yeah, past that's right. faced with new challenges as well, and uh, yeah, I think so. the The next layer of this conversation is looking at how the future is always present and past oriented at the same time, and how do we utilize those experiences with clients um, when they're thinking about the future, worrying about something in the future. The thing is, there's really no such thing as a future target. Right. It's always my anxiety in this present moment about the future. Right. Right. So we're not because actually. Yes, exactly. Yes. So we're not actually working on the future. We are creating a new neural network in this present moment, in the present manifestation of this human being that will prepare them, that will help them in the anticipated future. I do. And this, again, is to me where I work in the intersubjective space with the triune brain. I do do all that I can to make it as real of an imagination oh, experience as possible. I because use that's time the only machines. way you can work on the future yeah. is by bringing it into the present. Yeah. I yes. use time machines, movies, the language of that, internal movies, uh-huh, yeah. port keys, mm-hmm. um, all of the different types of how can I get their right brain to imagine this with me, not mm-hmm. just this uh, really detail-oriented fixation on the process of how it will break down and I right. will be found shameful or right. without competence or whatever yeah Yeah. how do i not just think about what's going to happen in the future Mm -hmm. but really feel it can i take my affect with me Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. well that's a great phrase can i take my affect with me into the future yeah or bring the affect state of the future into Into this present moment we're time travelers yes oh for sure 100 (laughs) percent. oh humans are i mean that's half of our problem is our time travel capability um that's a different conversation (laughs) (laughs) i love it but yeah, I think so. So I want to talk a little bit more explicitly about future templating and the way that we understand exactly what we're doing in the process of future templating and why we really feel like people um, could probably utilize it a lot more yeah. when we understand what exactly we're doing a future templating. It becomes a really, really supportive in the therapeutic process, mm. um, even around stuck points. Mm-hmm. Um, when when somebody is working on the past, sometimes we hit barriers with our clients where they're having a real really hard time um, imagining the change, imagining how to be a different version of themselves in the future. And that starts to influence their ability to really address what's happened to them in the past. Um, Their fear about showing up as a different Mm -hmm. person, a different version of themselves. How will people react? Um, All of that is really relevant for the other work that we're doing. And so I'm curious to hear from you guys, like, when do you find yourselves drawn the most to working on the future and using future templating with your clients? Like, when do you pull that out the most? It, for me, whether it's paired with bilateral or not, that mm-hmm. future template piece is the integration of whatever it is that we're working on. And so it's an, an essential component regularly. Now, sometimes it looks formal, right? Like we walk through the script of the future template and we've got the bilateral and we envision that. Mm -hmm. And other times it's taking whatever it is we're addressing Mm -hmm. and helping them connect and integrate that in is what does that Mm -hmm. look like in your life outside of this exact moment? Yeah. Yeah, To me, to Mel, your question of like, when do I do that? Uh, In the space that we're working I'm always thinking about what is it going to be like for this person to reflect on their experience that they're having right now in therapy when Mm -hmm. they're not here anymore. Mm -hmm. And how can we integrate this into not just a localized, uh, you know, discrete experience with me in therapy, but how can I get them to take me with them out there and the experiences that we just had in future templating or resourcing or whatever we did outside of the therapy room. So it is always just in my bodily awareness. Now, sometimes the content of the session doesn't explicitly focus on that every single time, Mm -hmm. but especially if it's, you know, this past week I I had two that are sticking out in memory where the issue that they came in wanting to talk about was, you know, Bridger, I know we've been working on this, but this thing is coming up in the next week yeah. or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. And I really want to bring some attention to it. Okay. So the way that I go about doing that then is I'm curious what made it seem like something you wanted to bring into the session today, which is really calling on the past and present mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. say, this is why I'm worried. Mm-hmm. And then in that way we resource the system appropriately 
uh, and do different parts work or whatever is right for that client at that time. But it's always about what is experientially um, anxiety provoking. Um, and I mean that in the affective sense of deep in their body, um, their body doesn't feel okay with what they're imagining in this future situation. Uh, and that's when the therapeutic alliance turns its attention towards the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So both of you guys talked about integration, Mm. that being future oriented in our work is about integrating the work that we've done on the past and the present to help them really bring it into their embodied functioning so that they show up differently in the future. And I think that that is, I mean, that's exactly how I use it as well. And that's a really good articulation of when is future templating really relevant? It's relevant when we want the client to be able to carry with them into their future, the work that we've been doing and getting them ready to experience life and go through situations with a new way mm-hmm. of behaving of relating of feeling etc and future templating is super supportive for that integration process um and so yeah i think that that's a great articulation of a, a good spot to use it another one um is to prepare them for those huge life transitions that we know are going to be a new set of neural challenges. Um, so yeah, one, one client that's coming to mind, cause I just had this conversation was, um, she is, uh, in her forties and becoming a mother for the first time. Ooh. And so she's scared out of her mind yeah. and, you know, said to me, well, I don't, I don't even know how to try to prepare for this. Yeah. Like, Oh, I do. Mm. (laughs) And so I think in those situations where hearing our clients begin to ruminate about future concerns, beginning to, you know, kind of ask ourselves, how could we prepare their body to face the challenges that they're about to face? Um, And so we, you know, in that situation, we talked about what are the points that she feels the most concerned about? Like when her mind starts time traveling into the future, what are the things that it keeps sort of getting stuck on mm. and worrying about? What are the pictures that she's seeing in her head? And in that scenario, she talked about, you know, the challenge of giving birth. Mm-hmm. You know, can I handle the pain? What is that going to be like? Um, and then uh, <laughs> one thing which is hilarious is uh, she said, I have this uh, irrational fear that I'm going to find out that I'm having twins. Oh. I found out this morning she's oh. having twins. <laughs> It so happened. it happened exactly sometimes mom bodies just know no, things yeah, yeah. Wow. um and so you know getting ready for those kinds of challenges that are just brand new and out of the blue um i think future templating um but once again it's always referencing what are times in the past where you have navigated intense challenge and new challenge and can we bring forward the resources that you've created in the past and apply the felt sense of that into the future yeah. so that you that feel a- prepared that's mm-hmm. exactly what resourcing is. Yes. Yeah. Drawing from those past adaptive networks. So, into the, the future. yeah, so this is a great distinction. Future templating is resourcing. Yes. 100%. Every time. Every time. It is so, the same thing. This but, is going to be an interesting. I don't know what you guys are going to think of this. Um, I was going to say, you're making the face that says, oh, yeah. I'm about to say something provocative. Well, just, it might throw us off of our time commitment today. Oh. Just for a second. You, okay. know, you can say no. Okay. You can all say no. But we just finished an ego state series. We've yeah. been talking a lot about structural dissociation. And some of the work that I do with clients in breaking down the three prongs mm-hmm. is that to younger parts, the future is the present. Mm-hmm. So when you're actually working with these younger parts, it really causes us to be creative with the way that we understand the three prongs and what is actually happening in the brain. Mm-hmm. And that to me is like again. a... For the younger parts, the future is the present. Mm-hmm. Is the present to us. We are in the present moment now. Mm-hmm. But the future to the younger parts, they are not autobiographically caught up right. in their experience of self. Our unquote, present life is, is their, their future. future. Okay. Yeah. The that's present is the future. Yeah. Rather than the future is the present. Yes. Well, to yeah. <laughs> their future is the present to us. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. They're they're Got not it. living yes. the, those younger parts or, you know, to speak in neuroanatomical terms, 
there are parts of our system yeah. that are in operation um, based on the past almost exclusively. And to mm-hmm. me, if you don't bring attention to this and the shame the part feels mm-hmm. in not catching up quick yeah. enough, it's going to be worse. Yeah. And I or have younger fear. parts. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. I have younger parts of clients that they are so dissonant with the way the present looks to their older self. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And or what so, about just the body that we live in? Exactly. Yes. 100%. Mm-hmm. I just had a session yesterday where the person said, "It's this is not the home for my younger parts. No. Talking about their body. Yeah. Can you, like, just feeling the yeah. amount of... Uh, issues that's going to throw oh, into integration. The disintegration. It's yeah. disintegration of mind. One hundred percent. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. sorry to just drop that. We could talk oh, for good. an hour at least. Oh, oh about that sure. concept. And that's SIP too, yeah. just so you guys know. So. <laughs> we need to have a whole episode on yes. that. It's true. Yes. It is true. But I think so in summary of this conversation, one thing is very clear. The distinction between past, present, and future is pretty dang arbitrary. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. Neuroanatomically, for sure. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. That, that it is always a blend, and we are always kind of moving back and forth between all of them all the time. To me, it's always in service of safety and connection, mm-hmm. the way our mind Everything. is organizing past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. How can I better detect threat and where I go to find safety? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how can I anticipate my safety in the future exactly right. you know i might be safe right now but what about yeah. three minutes from now well, that's, what about three years from now dan siegel says we are in we are are, are anticipating machines mm-hmm. that we consistently are orienting ourselves towards just the next moment of future right yeah well and even even when we're teaching our clients mindfulness and the skills of you know really allowing yourself to be present in this moment and not be you know, focusing on the past, focusing on the future, et cetera. We have to be really aware that what we're coaching there is a, a break, a reprieve from the natural neurobiological process of the mm-hmm. human organism. Mm-hmm. No human lives in a state of constant present moment focus without reference to the past and the future. Teaching our clients how to um, being mindful and stay in this present moment is simply about slowing down mm. that natural process and just hitting pause on it to just take a break from it for a second. But we cannot live life without that referencing yeah. of the past and the future. No. So that's so not our goal. Yes. And it's so unsafe. No, it's not our goal. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it is, uh, it's neurobiologically impossible. Right. <laughs> it, it is a delusion of consciousness yes. to, to cut off the past. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, right. The brain doesn't organize itself that way. You're a mammal. You're functioning like little infants. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Without the world. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as adults. There, mm-hmm. And there are people with you know brain injuries and brain lesions that actually and parts. Yeah, and parts of self that do function that way. Yeah. Yes. And we see a lot of issue with that. Um, and so slowing that process down creates more of an ease in the present moment. But we don't live there, and we're never trying to teach our clients that that is where they need to stay. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go anymore. I know. I want to circle back to one final practical application piece. Mm -hmm. I think it's a big misconception that, um, and I don't, again, I don't know that this is the intention in EMDR culture and community or if it's just the way I was trained and and took it in myself, but clear out the past, Mm. then address the present, and then move into the future. Did you say clear out? Yeah. Yeah. Clear out those targets. Not not clear out the past. No, I know, but even just that idea. Clear the targets of the past. Like the language. Which means zero on the side scale, seven Clear out the distress of the past. Yes. Mm -hmm. So clear those targets of the past, then target the the present, um, and then do future template. In that really? order, that's the rigid yes. structure. Okay. Yes, and so what's more accurate is that for every experience that we're processing or reprocessing, incorporating with our minds, the past, it is past, present, future mm-hmm. in every experience. Mm-hmm. There's acknowledging where that comes from in the past. Maybe that is what we're targeting. Seeing yeah. how does that show up in their lives today, and how does that inform the way that they anticipate the future or predict the future? Yeah, yeah. Period. Period. Uh, to Final me, ellipses thought. for sure. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Period. Semicolon, Period. probably. Period. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. With volumes to follow. Yes. That's enough for now. <laughs> we have to talk about Patreon? 
No. So oh. uh, speaking of all of the ways that we conceptualize things. Oh. Yeah. yeah. We wanted a to training. let you guys know. Can somebody pull up dates for me real fast so I make sure and say it right? It's July 22nd to the 24th. Oh, thank you. I'm going to double check you. Go ahead. <laughs> we'll see if Go this ahead. right. Go ahead. So yeah, here at BHC, we have a um, very specific model of conceptualizing all of the work we do. And that is through somatic integration and processing, which is our own model of case conceptualization. And we're super duper proud of it. Um, we have, you know, done several trainings at this point, and just the the joy of interacting with therapists about case conceptualization yeah. is literally our favorite thing. Ever. We're getting ready to do one tomorrow. Yeah, and we just did one That's last right. week. Ah. I know. <laughs> Jen, did you get a chance to check those dates? So brace yourself, Bridger. You're oh. right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So say the dates again. July 22nd through the 24th. <laughs> That's right. We I didn't have, need to peek. Jen. We have a she virtual did. training held through Zoom. Um, and we just you know finished doing a virtual training. And we uh, figured out the best way possible Lots to do a virtual training. Undone. Yes, but it was uh, such a great experience. We had you know an international group of people from all over yes. the place. Cool. Um, like 30 people with us for three days. And we just did a deep dive into how to understand... Um, all of your cases through a neurobiological lens and make sense of all of the complexities that we run into as therapists. And so we want to invite you guys to be a part of that training in July. Um, it's virtual. So wherever you are, um, join us and yeah. you can find all of the information about the training on our website at beyondhealingcenter.com. And you can go to the trainings tab and look at somatic integration and processing training. Come hang out with us for three days. Please one come the, join us. One yes. of the reasons I was looking at your phone is that is a Thursday through a Saturday. Oh, yes. yeah, that's the, relevant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. July 22nd is the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and we do 8 to 5, eight to five. Mm-hmm. Uh, those days. CST, Central Standard yes, Time. Yes, very yes, important. So adjust, <laughs> adjust for your time zone. That's right. Virtual trainings always make that interesting. Yes. Uh, but yeah, that is uh, just a really great way to uh, connect with us and to really build community. Um, SIP is a beautiful model for case conceptualization and is very supportive in your work of whatever modality you're using with EMDR. doesn't matter you know what other um, things that, that you're doing with your clients. This is going to be supportive to you. But even beyond that, um, our agenda and our desire is to really, really create community around understanding the work that we do as therapists, as uh, trauma-informed therapists, as nervous system-informed therapists, so that we can have a common language and really collaborate together around how to be supported in the work that we do and do the best work that we can possibly do. Um, so feel free to reach out to us via email if you have any questions about that training and about what that experience would be, but we would love to have you. So thanks so much for listening, guys, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to noticethat at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time.